Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and we are already nearing 2023. And man, I can't believe it's gone by that fast. I got Coach Joe Krawczyk, our co-host, is back in the house. Coach Joe, what is going on? Coach, it's uh, end of the fall, craziest time of the year. Uh, not everyone's in season, but it feels like it. Uh, but I love it. I love the fall. It's, uh, it's a good time, and it cools down here in Texas, so I love that too. Uh, but I'm doing great. I'm excited, Coach. Uh, Christmas right around the corner. And, you know, this month uh, we have a special treat for our guests and uh, for our listeners. We have a guest today. Um, if you could say we went to podcast heaven, today will be that day uh, when I introduce our guest here. Um, I met our guest uh, several years ago in, little spoiler here, in Sydney, Australia. Uh, speaking at the ASCA and had was had a chance just to sit down and grab a beer with him. And through a cordial uh, friend, we were connected. So without further ado, Coach Dave Joyce, welcome to the show. Thanks, Coach Mabe. Great to be here. Man, Coach, I'm, I'm being serious. This is a special treat, not just for our listeners, but for myself and Joe. I think we've really died and gone to podcast heaven today. <laughs> so how's the trip been so far, Ian? How's it's, everything been? It's been fantastic. Been here for... I think this is the third third day. Um, third day, I think I've probably had one sleep in that time. So <laughs> I'm I'm slowly getting you know readjusted to to Texas time zone because it's obviously a bit different to to Sydney. But uh, we've had a brilliant time. Um, incredible hospitality, great food, breakfast tacos this morning. You know, big big Austin uh, yes, box has been ticked. So you know, we feel like when we're we're locals, coach. Please, your beautiful wife, uh, hopefully she won't be mad if we put some pounds on you as you return back to Australia no, from I've all been, the food. I've been starving myself in preparation for this. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good coach. He's a good coach. We're going to get back preparing. to baseline. Yeah, that's right. He's got it all periodized out his eating. So good. <laughs> well, awesome. Coach, glad to have you here. I'm going to uh, kick us off on the show here and just, uh, can you just take a moment, uh, Listeners that, that are on the show that are hearing in, just give us a moment. Like, what have you been up to lately? Maybe even talk about where you've come from real briefly. And then what are you currently doing right now? Yeah, Catch sure. Catch us up. So I'm the um, founder and principal consultant for a, a, a strategy and decision-making firm called Synapsing, which I established a couple of years ago. And basically our aim is to uh, improve decision-making primarily in sports teams. And so that may be with athletes, but it's often with coaches and administrators as well. So um, my background, as you know, is I, I started life or started my professional career as a, a um, physiotherapist and then strength coach. And I, I love the, the physical therapy side of things because I love the problem solving bit, but um, it, it was an incomplete examination of performance. So I, I, I wanted to add that bit. Mm -hmm. So I, I did all my strength and conditioning work, masters in S and C. Um, so I got a, a much broader, uh, view of what performance is. And I'm, I'm lucky. It means that I can speak two languages, you know, I can speak 
medicine, I can speak performance and 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 bridge those gaps. And probably for the last uh, decade or a bit more, I've been a, um, a performance director. So running sports med, sports science, recovery, psychology, nutrition, um, strength and conditioning teams, that, that box and dice um, in professional teams around the world. Um, UK, um, Turkey, China, Australia, and I've just been I've been really fortunate to have a, a series of great jobs and meet some incredible people in our career. And I think that's one of the great things about what we do, isn't it, Donny? That we get to meet so many great people. So um, that's that takes us to to current day, really. That's good stuff. So, Dave, you've you've led performance teams at high level for years. You know, from your experience, what are some of the traits and characteristics you look for when leading highly successful teams? Do you know what? I've, th- I've given a lot of thought to this, Joe, and I, I, I guess there, there are, it, it probably depends a little bit on your definition of success, mm-hmm. right? Um, because you can have a really successful team um, that is not getting loads of wins, but according to its expectations, is actually a really high-performing team. Um, but equally, you can have a team that uh, actually gets some wins on the weekend in spite of the team behind the team. Right. And that's why I think that looking at wins and losses is probably, um, it's natural for people to do, but it's probably a, a bit too blunt a measure. But I guess the things which really resonate with me, and I see this in business as well as sport, is the really high-performing teams have got a clear sense of purpose. They know where they're going, right? They've got a really clear sense of belonging. And we were talking about this yesterday, weren't we, Coach, that um, it's a it's almost intangible, but you, you kind of, when you walk into a place there's a bit of an energy about it and you, there's just cheeky little high fives and for no real reason, but it just reinforces this sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And I think belonging is a really important bit. So um, everyone feels that they are trusted, that they've got autonomy, that they've got purpose um, and that they've got this this sense of inclusion that, that they get the most out of them. Um, so I think, I think they're the... They're the real characteristics, but it boils down to belonging and trust. And that is augmented by this sense of real clarity of, of um, expectations and real clarity of roles. So everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing. Everyone's got some processes that they, they follow. Um, and, you know, there's, there's just really good communication that surrounds all of that. Yeah. Um, so a long answer to a short question. Yeah. No, I, it sounds like too, it's, uh, I like how you said, you know, you measure success differently, right? And it's almost like you could think of Jim Collins as good to great model. You know, it's get the wrong people off the bus, get the right people on the bus. Maybe that's stage one of success. You know, that year, you know, the net gains and the profits might not show up in your business model year one, but your success is you have the right people in the right places. And then down the line, you start seeing those profits. And then in sports, 
you know, we equate that to wins. Uh, absolutely. And you, you see that, you see that in all manners of business as well, right? So if you look at Amazon for a long time, they weren't profitable, but they stayed the course because they had this business model in mind and they were really clear with their shareholders about what they were doing over the long term and they stuck to their strategy. And ultimately, you know, we, we know the success story that Amazon is. Um, Unfortunately, in sport, we'd, we'd often don't get the opportunity to do that, to live out that long-term vision because of, you know, pressures in media and sponsors and, and donors and those sorts of things. But the successful organisations have got a real um, long-term strategy, but an adaptability with their plans to within that strategy. Right, right. I had a question um kind of you know, on our walk over here to the studio. We were talking a little bit about some facilities and in the book, uh, The Culture Code, Daniel Coyle, he talks a little bit about, because you mentioned like this sense of belonging, like the high fives and the camaraderie. Because as you were just talking, I could just visualize there is a there is an element in really successful organizations and teams where there's this camaraderie and sense of trust and like, you want to be there, right? So, so in your experience, you've traveled the globe, seen all kinds of different teams, how big of an impact, in your opinion, from what you've seen, does the layout of facilities and structure of like rooms and, you know, how far, how close offices are, does that weigh into success, in your opinion? What would you say? Yeah, I think it, I think it actually does. Um, and I've given quite a bit of consideration to this when designing facilities as well, because what you want is the opportunity for serendipitous conversations for people to bump into each other to to meet to chat i'm a huge believer in in meeting over food and just eating and and having a drink and that there's something about that communal um sharing of 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 food that unlocks conversations um and if you've got a facility which, you know, there's loads of barriers to that because there are, there are stairs there, you know, there's a, there's a long walk between sports medicine and strength and conditioning. Um, even if it's a short walk, you know, it's, they're, they're almost invisible barriers. And we were just talking about it earlier that, um, if you can, you, what you want is everyone on the same level, um, with opportunities for for serendipitous conversations, um, for opportunities for for people to overhear your conversations as well and be able to chime in and 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 have um, to, I, th I think it's really helpful in problem solving because oh I just I just overheard you say this and we've tried that and and all these sorts of things. Um, we're, we're funny creatures, us humans. It's there's a set of stairs, even if it's ten stairs is is a way bigger barrier than what it should be. So I, I think there is a bit to the design of the facility that can either activate or impede that communication flow. Yeah, to your point, I think even coming out of this pandemic out of COVID, more people have been they want to they don't they want to text. They don't want to talk. They want to do something virtual. And I don't I mean that can work, but I I I fully agree. I think a sit down face-to-face -face dialogue gets a lot more done because of the relational rapport and trust that you build and camaraderie. I think that helps a well, ton. Yeah. So, so Zoom's been great and Teams and all those sort of platforms have been great, but they're not a replacement. 
You know, I, I think they're, they're, they were fantastic when we didn't have anything. But, you know, the, the conversations, the depth of conversations, the ability to understand body language and the nuances of, 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 of people is, is clearly do- best done in 3D. Yeah, the book again, you just made me think, Tony Shea. Um, Delivering was, Happiness? Yeah, yeah. So he obviously he's, he passed away not too long ago, but he's quoted in that book. He The way he structured his design of his facility for his staff and employees, he wanted to have 100 or more, he called them collisions per day. Yeah, right. Where they're interacting and talking. And he was, I think it's him that quotes it in the book. Like if they're on a different floor, they might as well be on a different planet. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I just thought that was so profound. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But obviously some of some of the listeners um, may not be able to change Can't their environment, it, yeah. right? So um, if if the listener is is going, oh, that's great, but- you know, I'm I'm in a gym here, and there's officers. What what can you do? There there are actually things that you can do about it. You've just got to be intentional about curating those collisions, right? Mm-hmm. That's um, it. Yeah. Um, you know, changing the the structure of facility is not easy, um, but there are there are clearly things that you can do to to make sure that you know we all work out together, or you know we've got a a black box meeting at you know two o'clock every Thursday, whatever it is. Um, there's you definitely have to organize and be very intentional about how you do mm-hmm. that bit. That's good. Yeah, isn't it crazy how now we're, we're we're still picking up the pieces from COVID where we got so reliant on like the Zoom and all the electronics where now we're thinking, okay, how do we how do we organize our rooms to just create social yeah. interactions again because we've gone so far in one direction it's just uh mind-boggling me because i i think you know it used to happen all the time you know people over here conversation i was having they're like oh do you think about you know looking at this and boom problem solved yeah and uh it just doesn't seem like it happens as often anymore or, or maybe it's coming back it's it's just uh it's crazy how this lingering effect from covid is is it's probably going to stay around for a while well, and, and a lot of the things that you just said there, Joe, is not they're not necessarily the product of bad intentions. It's just right. you know we get stuck in our own little world and we're yeah. we're beavering away on our little on our little um, uh, project. But there are times where you've got to get off the dance floor and get onto the balcony and see what other people are doing. So um, you know a really good model is what 3M, you know the um, the the company 3M do is that they they encourage people to go and and invent things, but they've got to share it, which is how we've got post-it notes and those sorts of things because they've been intentional about curating those sorts of conversations that can spark creativity. Um, And creativity and problem solving, we know, they best occur when you're having conversations where your mind is free, there's not an agenda like there is on Zoom because you've got a time. That's why I love chatting over food because you can allow your mind to wander. What was the coach refreshed my memory? I visited the Institute of Sport. Was it the, in, when I was in Sydney? The no, is it the and New South Wales Institute of Sport? What would say it again? N Swiss. That's it. So I forget the the gentleman that showed me around, but they they don't have like individual offices. They all share a room, yeah. and he got he went into some of the, what you're saying. Like they want to have open dialogue amongst different roles and staff. You know, and have, not have the strength coaches here. And then, anyway, it was just, it was fascinating, you know, to see the layout and the, the, 
the mentality and the approach. Yeah, and it's it's funny as well because you can you can tell a lot about an organization by the way the real estate is structured. So um, you can the the organization may say, oh, we collaboration, that's our number one thing. And then when you look at the floor plan, you've got the physios here, you've got the strength and conditioners over there, you've got um so they're not actually living up to their espoused values. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like the the best way to to look at the values of an organization is to examine their financial statements. Where they spend the money. Where they spend the money. Because that's that's a a clear signal of their priorities. It's a value You can have all the values on the wall. I like that, yeah. But the truth is on the balance sheet. That's it. That's it. Um, On the flip side, so you've obviously seen very successful teams and uh, departments. How have you handled, Coach, as a leader and as a professional, how have you managed when things aren't great? And I think specifically... What would be your advice on dealing with staff that are either not getting the job done or maybe not working well together? How would you address some of that? Yeah, uh, look, I've, I've just learnt by a load of mistakes. Um, I've done it really poorly at times. Um, poorly with, in, with the consequences of, you know, making a situation worse or making myself worth, worse. Um, but I guess that's the way you learn, right? So I guess the biggest lessons for me are that um, it's always life's a series of up and downs. You know, it's like it's like a yo-yo, and what you want is um, to be able to. I, I I heard something the other day about you look at the stock market. So the stock market is a bit like a, a kid with a yo-yo walking up the stairs with a yo-yo. So the yo-yo is the stock market. It's going up and down, right? Yeah. And it's easy to to um, get seduced by the ups and the downs of the yo-yo. But ultimately, over time, what you should be doing is looking at the kid. And the kid is walking upstairs. Yeah, he's elevating. So ultimately, the stock market will you know, get to the top. But we get seduced on looking at the the yo-yo. And it's a bit like that with the question you just asked, is that if you've got that purpose and you know where you're going, you can can have that balcony view. But if you don't have that purpose and you lose sight of that balcony view, you tend to ride the ups and downs of the yo-yo, which I think is inherently unhealthy. So I've, um, I've learned over the journey to when I'm when I find myself too close to the dance floor, like really down granular, is to step out and go, okay, am I still walking up the stairs? Mm. Is is the team still walking up the stairs? And I found that really helpful. The only way I can so the best way for me to do it is to make sure that I'm rested, to make sure that I'm I'm still training, to make sure that um my my bigger priority, not my bigger, my other priorities are in order. You know, my family and those sorts of things. When I lose sight of that bigger picture, that's when I just get too focused on the yo-yo, um, up and down. So, um, and in terms of conflict, the reality is we're in sport. Um, we're dealing with a whole heap of alpha people. You know, very strong personalities. Very, very like they. Professional sport selects for alpha people. There's not too many non-alphas in professional sport. 
there's clearly variations. There's alpha, alpha, and you know, your head coaches and your performance directors, they tend to be your alpha alphas, but, um, everyone, everyone's that sort of personality Mm -hmm. or many people. Yeah. And I think to, to your point too, I think that's the real art, right? Is like, how do you manage all the different personalities and egos and expectations? I mean, think, I mean, you're, you're a parent, you have two beautiful children, right? Um, and I have four daughters. Joe has, Joe has a young young son, but I can't believe how different all four of my girls are. And we manage and lead them all a little differently. We don't just, you know, that's right. Like they say, what's the quote? The, I forget where I saw the managers lead everybody the same, but leaders adapt their style to to each individual. And I think that's that's a, an art, you know. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? When when you you hear you hear some parents say, "I've got two kids." We parent them exactly the same and they're completely different. Um, and I push back on that because I just do not think you can possibly yeah. parent two kids the same. I completely agree. There's, it's no, my, my four daughters couldn't be more extremely different than each other. The only way you, the only way that could possibly be true is if you were totally hands off with all of them. <laughs> Coach, funny story, just real quick. When, when uh, the, the, I had the two little ones, um, I, I love to take them by their legs and swing them around in there and spin them and drop them on the bed. The oldest one loved it. I, this is when I learned this, kind of started learning this. The second one I grabbed and did that, and she freaked out and froze up like a yeah right like a zombie and was crying, and she did not like it. She was, I never, she was 21 at the time, though. Right, she was 20. <laughs> <laughs> I'm strong if I could do that, Coach. This one they, yeah, this one they were probably, I don't know, four, four or five probably. Uh, I could still pick them up, but uh, that's funny. But anyway... One of them loved it. One of them hated it. One of them I did it a lot. The one of them I never did it again. Right. So they're just and, all different. And it would be it would be poor parenting if you kept doing it. Right. So you've got to respect. Uh, so that's like the, the, that's the principles of adaptive leadership or adaptive parenting. So you go, I can't be the same leader for in in exactly the same um, all the time. Right. So that's what, you know people say. Oh, what's your leadership style? Your leadership style should be a reflection of the context that you're in, as well as the people that you're trying to lead. Because if you're fixed, you're not going to be, you, you'll be a good leader for, for exactly this particular niche, mm-hmm. which is 10% of all the niches. So if we look at, uh, like a good example is Winston Churchill. So Winston Churchill, um, often thought of as being this great wartime, you know, one, one of the great leaders of all time. So led led Britain and and some of the Allies through World War Two. Um, what people forget is that he lost an election six months after the end of World War Two. So he was this war hero, but he was really well adapted to being a war leader, mm. but a terrible peacetime leader, and he wasn't able to adapt. The 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 best leaders are able to adapt their style um, according to the circumstances. Yeah. You nailed it, Coach, um, when you just said context, because just coming back from this conference, uh, you know, meet with athletic directors and different leaders in college athletics, these search firms will be directed to go out and they want to go, what are the high-level problems we're facing? Now, who is the most equipped, suited, and skilled enough to address those problems that we have currently? And then that's kind of how they shape and contour their sh- their their search for their next leader. Yeah, 
context. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's an ability to to ad- adapt your leadership according to the context. So you may need a leader, f- like a, a head coach. Or, um, you may need them for this group of people right now, but it needs to sit... Th- needs to suit the overall strategy of the organization because if if you're looking to change that group or you know move conferences or what whatever it is you need you need people that can go along on that journey with you so um that that's that's why this strategy and decision making space that i'm in is just so interesting because i'm deep in this world it's fascinating yeah i love this topic yeah it's interesting how you brought up church i think and correct me if i'm wrong i think what kind of led you know, I don't want to say downfall, but to him getting, um, not getting reelected was that fog that happened in London, right? It was like a tragedy where the fog and the chemicals in the air from the storm got trapped in the city and people were dying from getting sick and, you know, they couldn't see, so they get in car accidents and stuff. And it's, it's amazing that he could handle the tragedies of warfare, like being bombed by the Germans. And, uh, but then this fog comes in and, you know, it's just, it just a different time, and he he wasn't able to negotiate that issue. Yep. You know, and it's an adaptability piece. It's 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 the it's the reason why of you know the 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 thing that I really want in our kids as they grow up is to be adaptable. Right. It's to be able to to roll with the punches and to make the most of what you've been given, because mm-hmm. life doesn't work that you just go right. Well, I'm going to do this no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um life's way too complex and throws far too many punches for you to be able to do that successfully for too long. Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, return uh, to, well, let's talk return to play for a moment. Um, how would you as a director lead all the different areas to make sure everyone is communicating about an athlete or to make sure that they're on the track for the rehab process? So it's funny, isn't it? So we, we go into a technical question like this, but the reality is, branches straight off the conversation that we've just had right which is so what's what's the purpose what's mm-hmm. what's the end goal here what are we what are we looking for and and going backwards from there and and everyone on the team that have input into that feeling like that they're heard that they've got um, they, they own a piece of that puzzle that they've got absolute role clarity I guess the the mistake that I've made in the past, and and I see, um, you know, it happens everywhere, is that it is still very siloed. Okay, so the nutritionist needs to do this, and right, they're they're responsible for these boxes they've got to tick, and then the 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 sports scientist, and then the strength and conditioning, and and they're all in these silos, and they work really well like that, um, because it gives role clarity. The problem is that a performance or an outcome doesn't work like that because it's all interconnected. Right. So, um, you know, as an example, the, the strength coach will often get a lot of the credit when a, uh, when an athlete breaks a squat record or whatever. Right. And I've always been big on the fact that performance doesn't exist, um, as an island because that athlete wouldn't have been able to do that if they weren't properly fueled. That athlete wouldn't have been able to do that if their lumbar mechanics were no good. Mm-hmm. So everyone actually needs to take some credit there. And the freeing thing about that is that it, it joins everyone together, but it also doesn't isolate someone if someone's injured. 
you know, frequently we'll go, oh, someone got injured. Oh, it's, it's this person's fault. It's far too, that's far too blunt. So I, I like people knowing what their job is, how they can impact, but also being able to know what are the connections that are required to, to produce this, this performance, which is, you know, return to play in this instance. Um, I think one of the, the great areas that we need to continue to explore is the role of, of, um, of the, the psyche and, and mental performance here, um, which is a really, really important piece. Um, and it's, it's something that you know I'm working on at the moment with a company called Optimize, and I think that's that's a, that's a really important piece. Is how do we get not just the physical boxes ticked, but how do we get the uh, or the mentality, the 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 cognitive components, the the emotional components all together as well. Um, so we we start with that working backwards. You know, what what are the what's the requirements of that athlete? when they return, what are they expected to do? How do we put in a buffer? So what's the, what's the, what's the fat? So if, if we're expecting them to run 12 sprints in a game, are they capable of doing 17? You know, what's the worst case scenario type thing? Um, and that stuff is really important if you've got the metrics to support it. And you've got the metrics to know where there are now. So it's like a, um, it's a gap analysis Mm -hmm. and you you plug it in that way. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the performance planning process where everyone goes, okay, so this is the end state we're after. Okay. How do we get there? And everyone who's got an impact sits around and tries to solve that puzzle with some contingencies. Okay, we're going to go down this route. And if this doesn't work, this is our kill point. So kill point is, you know, we're, we're hitting a block mm-hmm. here. What's our contingency? What's our plan B? How do we move from there? And then um, communicating that to all the relevant stakeholders. So you've got the coaching involved. You've got the athlete involved. Um, it Nothing exists in a silo. So I, I'm a... I'm a huge proponent of every, everyone contributing that to that entire process. Yeah. It's funny. I just had an athlete last week um, ask me about, you know, coming back from injury, you know, when, when do athletes, you know, I guess get released from the athletic trainer to come back to the weight room. I was like, well, it's, it's not really that simple. You know, if, if, if in my opinion, if it's done right, there's like that gray area in the middle where, you know, it's, it's like a handoff, like you, you're spending maybe, 70% of the time with AT, 30% of the time with strength coach, and slowly that percentages start to shift toward the strength coach where you're healthy and you're mainly in the weight room. But there's a lot more things in the weight room than there is up in the, you know, in the training area, you know, with all the tables and stuff. So sometimes they, they kind of utilize that and have the strength coach help them out. And it's really it should be a lot of back and forth, yeah, like you were saying. And, and so it's just kind of funny. Sometimes the kids don't see it that way. They think like, oh, I just go to here. And then eventually I'll just be done and I'm going to go right back yeah, into it's it. Like it's like quite binary, yeah, isn't it? I mean, so. I think it, the reality is it should bleed into each other. So I've always liked my strength coaches involved in rehab at day zero. Mm-hmm. And I've liked my physios involved with the with the performing athletes as well. So I don't think there is this simple line of injured, not injured, right. um, or ill or healthy. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it's not, it's not um, binary in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there's just so much that can be gained by uh, a physio and athletic trainer looking at healthy athletes going okay so this is what this is what we're trying to get back to and you can spot some differences and there's just so much value in the strength coach and the sports scientists with the injured athletes because you're training an athlete not an injury so yeah, it it should be bled through hundred percent. Did you guys? Um, I'm curious. Did you ever have any like specific protocols or policies on like how you was it maybe different with every team? Like how you made sure everybody was like talking and meeting? Like I know we've kind of talked about that already, but can you kind of give us peel back a layer to specifically what was how did you operate and make it really 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 nice? Yeah. Um, so every meeting would be there'd be a clear purpose of what we were trying to do. So first thing in the morning as a performance group, we would get together and and it would be pretty much uh, an assessment of what we were planning for the day. You know, we'd go through every player, you know, um, what's what's their training, what's their training load like, what are we expecting in terms of distance run, weights, all these sorts of things. Um, um, who's who's got accountability for these things? Tick, bang, right, move on, and those things would be quite um, quite neat. The the bigger discussions would be held for um, if there was a player that we didn't want to be doing all of training. So you're going, okay, we're going. What drills are they going to do? What are we, what's the expectation of that drill in terms of how far, how fast, you know, all those sorts of things? Okay, we can we're going to allow him or her to do, you know. 15% of that drill or, or whatever it is, or, you know, non-contact. And so really clear lines of communication there. So that's kind of the, the daily one, but then weekly we would have a review of all the athletes and go, right, where are they at according to their overall plan? Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Um, and in that I would include, um, the coaches to go right. So what what do you want? What do we want? Where's the where are the negotiation points? What are the non-negotiables from either party? Um, and then I would sit down with the the head coach and the the um, the the football manager, and yeah, you know, weekly yeah, and usually on the day off, and we would just chew the fat. You know where where are we at? What, what's what's this? athlete struggling with what's this strength coach struggling with you know where, where's the conflict points where's the pinch points what's going really well um again usually over food just over breakfast or whatever and a relaxed way of just trying to unlock some of the pinch points mm -hmm. so uh, i don't love lots of meetings and i'm really clear about what i want out of each meeting and who's got decisions to make if it's if a meeting doesn't have a decision to be made, um, it's usually a meeting that doesn't need to exist. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because you have a purpose and you have a desired outcome as yeah. well. Unless it, unless it's just giving information, yeah. um, you know, I, I would always make sure that every meeting there was a there was a clear decision to be made. It's good. Good. Dave, I need to come work with you. There's a lot of food at these meetings. I yeah. know. I like the, I like the sound of this. Yes. <laughs> um, changing gears a little bit, you have written several books. Uh, high performance High performance training for sport, right, has been a bestseller. Um, couple of questions here on this one. What got you started in writing books, and then 
Take us through a little bit of that process and timeline. Yeah, so um, three books. Um, there's High Performance Training for Sport, then the second edition, which is basically a brand new, so I, call, right. I count that as another one, and then Sports Injury Prevention and Rehabilitation. And I did with my co-author, Dan Lewenden, who's now um, Performance Director at City Football Group, so Manchester City, New York City, you know, all those sorts of football clubs. Um, what got us started was this belief that there are, there are lots of textbooks out there in what we do. Um, there weren't many truly integrated textbooks that, that tried to look at the continuum of performance. So they tended to be strength and conditioning or sports medicine. The sports medicine textbooks have nothing about exercise or very little, like standard physio nonsense about, you know, three sets of 10. Um, and, and physios just don't get taught proper exercise science, strength and conditioning principles, physiology principles. Um, so, but equally we felt that many strength and conditioning coaches don't get taught the, the elements of injury and, and pathology and those sorts of things. So we, we wanted to, to blend those. So basically what happened was I, I pitched that to a number of publishers and we got a lot of interest. Um, we ended up by, this was for sports injury prevention and rehab. And we got down to the final two publishers that we're, we were sort of trading with. And we went with one and then the other one said, um, we're, we're really disappointed that we didn't get that. Would you write a book for us as well? Mm. Um, and foolishly and naively, we said yes. And that became High Performance Training for Sports. Um, but it was our belief that a lot of the textbooks out there are very technical, very academic, um, which is great. You know, that, that serves an, an, a market. But what actually we wanted was to produce something which was the world's best conference, but just in written form. So we got a whole heap of you know world experts to talk about their niche, um, but in languages in a in in a language that was uh, approachable. You know, we want we wanted we wanted the feel of it to be if. Um, I don't know, Stu McMillan, one of the world's best speed coaches, if he came into your facility, what would he say are the non-negotiables? What would he look at? And so that was the brief. And then he writes that with JB Marin, two of the world's best speed coaches. And then that becomes that chapter. And then we, we sort of link all the chapters to, to uh, it's not, it's not designed as something that you read from page one to page 360 or whatever it is. It's, you go, okay, so I'm going to read this bit. Oh, now I'm going to read the bit on influence by Brett Bartholomew. And now I'm going to read the bit on coaching and queuing by Nick Winkleman because they all interlink. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the the puzzle that we were trying to solve. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the, the outline. It's yeah. good. Yeah. And it's it's interesting too, you know, if, if you think about your, your point at the beginning, you know, if ATs here, if they are, if they do know anything about, you know, weight room training, they, they have to get the additional certification of like a CSCS or something like that. So some of, some of our ATs here have that. Um, and I've always kind of thought about that. It's like, man, we we're so closely aligned and we work together so much. You'd think we'd kind of just almost merge it a little bit more. And I, I think in the schoolhouse, you know, in college, it's, it's a little bit more like that. They kind of come up through their bachelor's degree a little bit uh, closer, but 
Yeah, when it comes to the certifications, it's very separated. Yeah, and and so it reinforces yeah, a human bias of looking for in groups and out groups. So we love our in groups. So and you, you see that like the University of Texas, massive in group. You know, there's Longhorns everywhere, and that's an artifact. That's a real signal of we belong here. We're we're all together. Um, but within that, mm-hmm. um, there is this. Um, there's lots of different in-groups and in our environment, an in-group is the athletic trainers, an in-group is the strength coach. Um, and it is hard to breach that sometimes because there's a level of mistrust and it's evolutionarily hardwired into us for, for very good reason. But in today's society, it's counterproductive in most instances, particularly in what we're trying to do. So uh, I've always abolished the strength and conditioning department and the sports medicine department. I've said we're, we're athletic performance. We're looking at the same problems. We've just got different skill sets and you have them in the same, same area. I I think so. That's my belief anyway. Um, um, and the, the more we can bring that to the party, I think the, the more collaborative, the more, um, innovative our problem solving is. Yeah. Sure. I like that term, in-groups and out-groups. Yeah. I I mean, there's really, to your point, there's so much collaboration. And and I'm kind of ringing the bell again on this, but the sense of belonging you've been talking about with us, that's really resonated with me for some reason. um, Because I think that's so critical. You know, you've got to feel like you're part of the staff and team. Yeah. Not that we have any of that here, but just I, I feel like you can get siloed. You know, and you kind of lose that sense of purpose and kind of like the importance of your job. So it's good. Well, Love it's it. it's funny you say that, Donnie, because I, I took a photo um, in the football um, area today, and and it um, there's a big sign on the wall, and it says, "Getting the respect of the locker room was the most important thing. That was bigger than any play, bigger than any game that I was part of. Honestly, once we got the respect from everyone in that locker room, that's when I knew I belonged." could do my best and was ready to go out there and perform. Um, um, and so I loved that because that last bit is that's when I belonged. Mm-hmm. So that's, he's basically saying that's when I'm part of the in group. Mm-hmm. That's when I felt trusted to unleash what I could. Um, it's at the heart of everything that we, that we need to do, which is why I love here at UT, there's this real, like there's a palpable sense of belonging um, that is, you know, uh, clearly part of the culture of the of the place. But it, the culture is only fostered by, it can only be fostered by people like yourselves that bring people in. Like um, we've felt really this sense of belonging. We've felt that um, we've been welcomed to, to come here. It's, it's such an important part and an incredible part that can't just be left to the leader of a program. Like that's, that's something that is, is driven and, and role modeled by the leader, but implemented by everyone. Yeah, it's good. It's true. Yeah. So is, is, I mean, is that the challenge today then like moving forward is to, I mean, you, you can't just break apart the in-groups completely, right? Because then you start stepping on other people's toes that's and right. things like that. You know, if it'd be like a, be like uh two players on a field right they start trying to do each other's job they'd run into each other that's right um so i guess what what is that balance then that we're looking for i mean you can't you can't break the in groups completely but you know i guess what is i guess what's the goal there in in trying to collaborate better in the future yeah it's a it's a really interesting question joe i guess the 
Um, the role, role clarity is really important. So you know what you're responsible and accountable for. Um, but it is, it's this, this culture of, of not having to feel like you have to have all the answers. You might be the domain expert, but your ability to solve a problem is enhanced by enlisting the help of other people who see the world through just a slightly different lens, right? But you may be the one that's got the make makes the ultimate decision. But this is role modelled by you know these sorts of meetings that we've talked about, by the facilities that we've talked about, or how we how we structure mm -hmm. it, um, and and this healthy respect for each other to go right. Um, I think I'm the expert in this, but I'm going to speak to Joe because he may have seen this completely differently. Um, so having, being able to curate the environment and the the culture such that there is this level of trust is, is the most important thing, but ultimately someone still has to make the decision. So you, it needs to be really clear about that bit as well. Right. For sure. It's tough. Um, well, I've got a I've got a little change of topic here again. One of my favorite kind of topics, um, being in Sydney and meeting your beautiful family. You have a very beautiful family, and I've not met your son yet, Rory, um, but soon, hopefully. Yes, that's um, that's um, coming up, isn't it? Right. Yes, sir. So, co Coach, speak to that. Like, how have you been able to manage? And I don't want to use the word balance because I don't know that that's very attainable. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But how have you been able to manage? the level of success you've had in sport and the demands on you professionally and then have a healthy home life. Mm. Can you speak to that? Um, so the, the balance bit's really interesting, right? So we can look at that through a couple of different ways. And commonly what people will do is look at balance through the, the prism of time spent. So I spend eight hours at work. I spend eight hours at home, um, and that's a, that's a good balance. Um, I don't think that's the right way to look at it, for me anyway. I, I think of it much more in terms of energy and how much energy am I um, giving at work and how much have I got to oh, give at home. Yeah, it's true. And how much energy am I extracting? Um, am, am, I, am I a giver? Or am I a sapper? So if I'm a giver, am I giving energy to work so much that I'm sapping energy or I'm drained when I'm at home? That's when I know my balance is out of out of whack. Um, to be completely frank, um, I don't always get it right. So it's always, it's like a thermostat. You're always adjusting. Um, I get very clear feedback from my wife. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, I understand, coach. I yeah, understand. yeah, yeah, and 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 that's really important, right? Like it's that's like the um, um, the little um, buzzer that that's going on in your car when you haven't done your seatbelt up, or just like little reminders. Um, but intuitively, you know if if things are not quite right. But I think one of the things that I've learned over the journey is to be really clear with everyone is going, okay, so this period, this is pre-season. I'm going to be working really hard here and I'm not going to get home till eight o'clock. Um, and managing those expectations 
and giving a sense of when it's going to end if you can. Um, we, we periodize all our athletes programs and we can periodize our life as well. So I do a lot of work in this space, in the corporate area of how executives can periodize their, their energy. Um, so you, you need to you need to provide those expectations, but you need to be humble enough to uh, accept the feedback when it comes. I think that's um, that's pretty important. Yeah. Coach, that is so powerful. The, there's a couple books as you talk, and I can't remember the author of one of them, but the one book is called The Power of Full Engagement, uh-huh. and the whole book's about energy management. Yeah, right. Just what you said, and they talk about depending on the season of life you're in, you should really evaluate your energy, whether it's for work or your your hobbies, your family. And if that energy that energy is low, it's like a gas tank, right? Like you may not do a great job. And then they kind of talk about it in there, even your work day of how people just work nonstop all day and they never recharge and they just come out of work and they're just exhausted, right? The other book is called Leading on Empty, which is it's a profound book. It's a faith-based book. So a little precursor there, but... But the Wayne Cordero uh, tells the story of he was leading, you know, he's a pastor, he's leading in this church movement and basically ends up hitting the wall, burns out, goes into depression. I think he has to go through about a year and a half of rehab. And he goes into the book of, of your point. He talks about, I think he says there's like five to seven energy bursts we have a day. And once you kind of expend that burst of energy, your body starts running on adrenaline. Mm. Or you got to start kind of like taking drinks and, you know, whether it's Red Bull or, no, Coach, it's not not the, what's the, the monster drinks that you and I drink <laughs> yeah. occasionally? I may or may not like those. <laughs> a little confession there, but anyway. <laughs> but you start having to like find other reserves of energy that makes, it's not good for your health, right? Yeah. And so I, I like that because there's been literally, when you were talking about energy, I had this like flashback of when my kids were little and we'd be in season with football, and I'd get home, and I'd just be coach. I was toast. Yeah, I was home, but I wasn't. I wasn't present, and those yeah. were not. Those were tough times. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And it's it's funny, isn't it? Because we we talk with our athletes, we wouldn't expect them to do um, uh, deadlifts all day, you know. And we would program it so you you might even you might do two or three in a row. Or you know, you might eight or, or whatever it is, but then you break it into sets, and then you have a break between sets, and you wouldn't do that every day, and you might come back and do a couple of sets throughout the day or wh- whatever it is how you program. Now we can look at that through the lens of actin and myosin and those sorts of things, but actually it's about energy. It's about how you expend your energy, and as strength coaches, we know that you can't do that. Like you can't run all day. Because you have to have breaks, otherwise you just you you actually you're never hitting peak. Um, so if we're viewing that and our programming of that through the energy lens, we can directly translate that to what we do as coaches, what we do as executives, and go right. Well, I've got a crucible moment here. You know, I've got board papers due, or I've got you know it's preseason. So you work up to that. But then you've got to put in your rest time. And that rest time, you can look at it through the, the macro cycle. You can look at it through a meso cycle. Or you can look at it through a micro cycle. And that micro cycle might be, I'm going to work hard on this paper that I've got to write for 90 minutes and then I'm going to have a break. 
because it's the only way you can reach the peak is by by putting that um, that break in. And we're just talking about energy, and yet it's the same conversation as programming squats. Yeah, coach, you have to say no to a lot of stuff sometimes. Yeah, so I I said yes to everything, and now I'm saying no to more things. Yeah, that's. I don't know. It just says I'm getting older in my career. I'm learning. I've, I've got to learn to say no more to be really good at what I do do, you know, what I am engaged in. It's hard, isn't it? Like, I think the right thing when you're young is to say yes to as many things as you possibly can. Because what you're trying to do is experiment and learn and create networks and all those sorts of things. So that's absolutely the right thing to do. But then, you know, when you when you get a family and you've got other things and you really, you should have decided, well, many people have decided by, you know, 30s, 40s, that um, they, they want to pursue this particular avenue. That's when you deploy your resources into that avenue, which means you have to say no to things. But that's hard because it flutters our ego when we're asked to do things, right? Mm-hmm. The more people ask you to do something, the more your ego goes, whoo. I'm important. I'm important. <laughs> yeah. They need me. 100% yeah. coach. You're yeah. spot on right there. Coach. So that there's, there's a little bit where you actually need to check in on yourself and go, oh, am I, what's the opportunity cost? I can do this to get a little, little ego boost, but it may be detracting from me deploying my time, money, energy into this thing, which is way more important. I can totally vouch for a lot of this. I mean, David's reaching 10 months and in those first years. That's I your mean, son, David? Yep. What a fine name. Oh, oh yeah. No. Yeah, there you go. A- <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's just so much changes early on. So like right in like a two-month period when you think you got it, like, you know, the next day it's like, nope, change up the routine, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, you have to say, right now it's me saying no to a lot of like outside things like, hey, you want to go do this on Saturday? It's like, no, I think... I think we just stay home with with David and, and chill. You know, it's we're we're good just to lay low. You know, because um, I find a lot of satisfaction doing that. You know, Absolutely. being with him and my wife, and my dog. But you know, it's it's just uh, you know, in those early years of, of having a family, there's so much changes so fast. And, you, you simply do not get it back. Yeah, and you, and you have to be so adaptable yeah. at home just as much as you're adaptable at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't spend all your time just at home. Right. Um, as much as that might seem like the, the good modern dad thing to do, because you want to be able to role model hard work. Right. Yeah. Um, when, when David gets old enough, he needs, he will want to see his dad working hard and, and his mum working hard and those sorts of things. So there's, you're just constantly checking in and getting, making sure you're getting the, the deployment of your resources and your time right. For sure. And that's just last thing on this, cause I keep hearing some stuff you said earlier in our conversation about like what's the intent and purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So if you apply that to your your career, well, the reason I work is because I love my family. Yeah. I do, personally. Um, I work and do the job I do so that my family can have the life that we have. Yeah. And, you know, the times I put my work and sacrifice my family, um, I've been a more unhappier in my job yeah. because my family has suffered. And so to your point, it's about you've got to give that attention and energy to your wife and to your children if you're a parent, and they've got to be good because, again, you and I kind of talked about this on the trip. If I'm a, if 
I'm a better dad and a better husband, then I'm, it makes me a better coach. Yeah, absolutely. For me, per, that's kind of yeah. how I'm wired. Yep, yep, yep. So I just don't, I, I really struggle. Uh, I've struggled through the years of coaches that just, you know, there's workaholics. They just can't ever go home. And I understand sometimes it's maybe not, it's not happy to be home, you know, but maybe it would be happier if you put a little more time into it. So yeah, it's anyway, kinda, just. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm, I don't want to be, come off as judgmental. I mean, I've definitely seen coaches, I'm sure as you guys have through the years, just their marriage get just ruined, yeah. you know, so it's tough. It's a tough profession. Yeah. Yeah. But yep. again, uh, that's one thing I definitely admire about you, coach. It seems like just you, you're, you're really good at what you do, but you have a beautiful family and you can tell that that matters a lot to you and, it, and that the two kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. And I, I really do appreciate that from you, Donnie, because I look up to you in that regard. So uh, it, that, that means a, a, a huge amount to me. Thank you. Yes, sir. So, Coach, in your career, you've, you've done some of the most, uh, you've had some really fulfilling moments, and you um, can you share some of those with us? And then, you know, how have you handled some hard times as well? Mm. Um, I think the the times that are most fulfilling, and this is going to sound silly, like it's, you, you, you love the wins, right? You love the wins. But I get over wins really quickly, like half an hour. After a win, I'm I'm done with it, and you're, you're starting to look forward. So, it's a sugar rush. So, when I look at my career, my and things that have been most fulfilling, and not necessarily full of those sugar rushes. And I've 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 lucky lucky enough to have had a lot of sugar rush moments of wins, <laughs> but in terms of the things which have connected with me as being areas where I've felt really fulfilled. I look to the success of my staff that they've gone on and run their own programs. Like I'm incredibly proud of staff that have left um, and run their own program, have success, have stayed connected um, and, and, and want to share the joy of that. Like that's honestly the, some of the, the best moments that I've had. And the good thing about it is they're not moments. Like a win is a moment. But these things are much more long-lasting. Um, and you know, we were even talking about it last night, weren't we, Donnie? Like, um, we've got, I've got a belief that you, you always meet people twice. And if you're a good person, you've got good values, you're good fun, um, you just have these relationships. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a country boy from the middle of nowhere in Australia. Um, for me to be in Austin, Texas, recording a podcast, like this is a pretty big deal. And this is on the back of a beer that we had in Sydney because we both took a risk of of meeting someone that we'd never met before. Um, I'll, I'll look back on this and, uh, you know, on my deathbed, and if you ask me this on my deathbed, hopefully, you know, in another 80 years, yeah. um, <laughs> Um, I, I won't remember the wins and losses. I'll remember days like this. They, these are the most fulfilling things. Um, and the hard times in my career, and there's always hard times, but it's, for me, it's a case of having a sense of perspective and going, geez, I think I'm doing it tough. How about what's happening in Ukraine? <laughs> or, yeah. um, so it's always helpful to, to think of, uh, at least mindset is, it could be, if only, 
if only I did this, if only I can live through regret. But you can flip it and go, at least it's not that. And that, that always puts things in a, in a positive light. But it, it gets back to a question you asked earlier, Joe, about you know, what are the, the characteristics of high-performing teams and high-performing people? Is it it's a, it's a case of, um, of, of having that purpose? And making sure that I'm that kid walking up the stairs, even if the yo-yo is going up and down. Mm-hmm. So it's it's having that real north star. That's that's the thing that gets me through. Yeah, awesome. So we have a lot of uh, young listeners on the show, and as we kind of wrap up here, you know, what would you recommend our listeners do for professional development, and you know, what would you recommend for younger up and coming coaches just in general? So for young coaches the most important thing to do is to get really good at your craft. You know, work towards mastery of your craft. And that can be the the X's and O's mm-hmm. um, of, you know, programming, um, complex training sessions, whatever it is. Um, but it's also about understanding influence and negotiation and those sorts of things. So that's that's where you need to be deploying your resources, getting really good at that bit. Um, and I, But I can't, it's impossible for me to overestimate or to overemphasize, I should, I should say, the importance of having a mentor and probably a series of mentors that can help guide you. And I'm not asking people to go out and get a, um, a cheerleader, but um, but more of a critical friend, someone who's going to call them up on some of the stuff they're doing wrong, but to really encourage them. So uh, uh, I've got this saying that, um, and it's not mine, but y- you can't read the label from inside the bottle. And that's why it's really helpful to have a group of people that are helping you read the label that can see things. That's why I do quite a lot of exec coaching and why I get coached myself is for that bit there um, to making sure that you, you've got the totality of your career covered. So um, I, th- I think they're, they're the things. Get really good at your craft. Have people that are on your side that will call you for um, things that you're not doing so well and, and, and have a really clear purpose of where you're going. Even if you, even if you don't have the map sorted, you need to have a bit of a, a guiding star. Yeah, yeah, that mentor piece is so important. You know, I, I think back to when I was living in Hawaii when I was in the Marines, and my company commander, I had him for three years, and he was my mentor at the time, and we had a lot of hard conversations and you know a lot of good conversations, but um, he was big into smoking, and we'd always go out back behind the blockhouse and have like some of the hardest conversations while he had a cigarette or two, and. Uh, and you talk about times you remember when you speak with your staff, like those are some of like the fulfilling times you had. It's like same same with me. Like we we talk about the Marines, we talk about stuff we need to do, and and those will always stick with me. And hopefully, you know, one day, you know, I could pass that on. But yeah, the men, the mentor piece is very very powerful. Yeah. And now that I'm here at UT, you know, Donnie Donnie's been one of my mentors with Clint, um, and the talks we've had here. I mean, it's it's important, you know, because a lot of people leave home and they go far away. They grew up with their parents. Those are their mentors. Not and uh, and when when you're far from home and you haven't 
you know, you've done that a long time. It's, it's important for your success. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really important for your ego and everything. And it's interesting you, you say about smoking and I, I won't necessarily endorse that, but, yeah. but what, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but it's, it's the same, it's the same concept of, of conversation over, over food, isn't it? Um, yeah. cause you can have a really direct agenda driven conversation and that will help you solve a specific problem, but it doesn't usually unlock the creative bit. Yeah. Um, Whereas what you're describing there is having a conversation or uh, a series of conversations when you're doing something else, which is the same as smoking, uh, same as um, um, over over dinner, but it's also, and you you probably be able to give me some guidance on this coach about, they. I'm told that if you want to have conversations with teenagers, you don't do it necessarily face-to-face asking questions. You do it on a drive mm-hmm. where you don't have to be looking in each other's eyes. You can just be just shooting the breeze and asking some curated tangential questions and that seems to unlock things. Yeah, I know it's kind of a tangent, but I think I heard, this is the way I heard it explained one time with kids, and it's true. You'll, you'll, if you have kids, anybody listening, you'll, there's a difference between, talk. they talk about like quantity time and quality time, meaning, you know, well, if I just get some quality time with my kid, you know, everything... Well, here's what what they've learned in in parenting, right? If you'll spend quantity time, right, they'll at some point in there, because of your familiarity and time with them, whether it's car drives or doing something around the house, because of that long time, the more touches you have with them, they eventually end up opening their heart to you. You don't know when that moment's going to come, but it's not likely to always come in that Mm -hmm. quality time. But if you can give them quality time, like you're saying, like that drive, long drive or a trip together, like they usually will open up. Yeah. You, know? uh, you get those moments. Yeah. And it's, there's probably no such thing as quantity time or quality. It's just time. Right. Right. <laughs> so true. Well, good stuff. Well, we are pretty much done for this episode. Uh, where can our listeners, if they want to reach out, follow you, connect with you, Coach Joyce, a.k.a. Joycey, where would they, uh, where would they do that? Um so I'm, I'm probably not huge on social media, but um, Twitter would be the one that most people would connect with me on, which is at David G. Joyce, um, david.joyce at synapsing, S-Y-N-A-P-S-I-N-G dot co, C-O, um, or LinkedIn. Or, um, yeah, so really happy to engage with people. And just for one more, if speak to this as much or a little as you can. What can we look for in the future from Synapsing? What's coming down? Can you speak to that yet? Or so, I'd love to hear just as we close out the show, tell everybody kind of what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, about, it's super exciting. About f- probably 40% of my work is with big sporting organizations, like doing big reviews, big strategy work. Um, how do we get more women into high-performance coaching? I did a whole piece on how do we prepare our athletes uh, during quarantine and the like. So some big things that are not necessarily about getting athletes fitter, faster, stronger. Um, about 40% of my work is in, in corporates. Um, and about 20% is in exec coaching of, of, of people. And my speciality in exec coaching is, is not in the CEOs of fortune 500, um, companies, but more in people that are transitioning from, domain expertise, so the world's best sports scientist or strength coach or whatever it is, into more leadership. Mm, that's um, strong. 
But I, sure. I guess the thing that I'm, I'm probably most excited about at the moment is I'm doing some work with a company called Optimize, and what we're trying to do is increase the accessibility of mental performance to um, to athletes in high school and college and 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 other areas that wouldn't necessarily get the opportunity to speak to the top level sports psychologists. So we're bringing the top level sports psychologists to them. Um, we feel that um, Calm and Headspace do a fantastic job, but they focus primarily on on mindset and or, and sorry, um, sleep and meditation. Whereas we're, we're trying to uh, unlock the puzzle of the mind at the the more the more mental performance end. So um, that's that's a really really interesting piece that that we're we're trying to. Um, to solve and um, we're really excited because it's it's no doubt that that's the greenfield opportunity and how we improve um, sporting performance. Yeah, that's ex I mean that's so exciting. I, I always I feel like today in sport this with all the mental health stuff, but even to your point, I always say like a lot of our best athletes, metaphorically speaking, if you could like cut their head off and like fix their head and put it back on, like we would be great, right? So man, that is awesome. You guys are going to be doing that and it's going to be well needed. And I'm sure very exciting once you kind of start getting. Yeah, out it's there. great, and and it, it enables us to you know come to come to the US and and um, speak with all our friends here and you know get on yeah. fantastic podcasts yeah. like this one. Well, good stuff. Well, we'll close it out and dinner plans tonight, Coach. Yes, where are we going? Yeah, um, I don't know. It's um, <laughs> oh, we, we, um, so no. we've ticked a lot of boxes so far. We haven't ticked the barbecue box, but that, um, coming, maybe? That, 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 that has to be on the agenda, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of good choices here. Joe, what's your number one recommendation? Barbecue, Austin, Ooh. Texas. He's not getting paid, by the way, again. He's just. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they do. I wish they did pay me, but no, I'm kidding. Um, Salt Lake is really good. Yeah. Salt you can Lake. make your way down there. It's really good. Right. Um, man, I don't know. There's He's five, close. There's five He's others. He's staying kind of domain area the styles and switches over there okay i know he somebody recommended blacks but anyway there's so yeah you can't blacks, go wrong really yeah. probably closer i mean they're right. all so good i mean franklin's is probably one of the most franklin's. world known yeah, yeah. But definitely the line, heard about that yeah the line is really long anyway so i know you don't have much more time in austin but hopefully you'll be back at some point yeah well we've got we've got one more day and if they've got customer loyalty where you you've got to punch 10 10 things to get a free 11th then we're going to have that a crack yeah. at that <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, well, Coach Joyce, it has been an outstanding time and pleasure, absolute pleasure and privilege to have you in Austin and just come on the show. So thank you for your time, expertise, and just sharing your passion and heart with our listeners. Thank you, Donnie. Thank you, Joe. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. All right. That's it on the team behind the team. You guys have an awesome holidays. We'll catch you in 2023. Hook them. Hook them. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.